Well, I'm grateful for God's grace that was displayed at Calvary, right? But it's a great reminder that grace continues on. Grace holds us right now. Right now. Right now. Just very minute. That's a great truth, isn't it? Amen. It truly is. Oh, great, great song. Thank you. I've invited Nathan Bryant to come and share with us this morning and open God's Word and share a little bit of his heart and a little bit of where we're going as a church. Um, introduced Nathan last week, but let me remind you that he and his twin brother Phil have been friends of mine for 20 years, <laughs> plus years, right, buddy? Yep. And uh, he and Phil led our team into Canada some 23, 4, 5 years ago to plant churches in Canada. And uh, we've got thriving churches now in Canada that have just an exciting, exciting ministry. I saw the Renew Church pop up on my Facebook page this morning, so I know they're broadcasting this yep. morning. So good stuff that uh, Nathan's been a privilege to be a part of. And then about four years ago, um, God just kind of moved him into this whole new direction with what uh, they call assist church expansion. And over the last four years, God has done some amazing, amazing things. And Nathan shared a little bit about that last week and a little bit more this morning. So Nathan, come and uh, share your heart with us, share God's word with us. Thank you so much for coming to be with us. Well, thank you so much, Roy. I really appreciate it. It's a, it's a real joy to be here again this morning with you uh, and uh, encouraged by the things I have been able to connect with. I was able to hang out with your elders a little bit last week after the service, and that was a lot of fun. You've got some good men who love Jesus and are committed to Christ. Um, always appreciate Pastor Roy. He's an encouragement and a blessing and a godly man, uh, and you guys are privileged to have him here with you in this season. I want to share one thing with you before I get started. Some of you uh, may be aware, most of you probably don't know, but a colleague of ours at Assist Church Expansion, the communications director, his son um, uh, uh, took his own life this past week, and I'm going to be going to the funeral on Thursday. Um, but before we get started, I'm wondering if we could pray for him and his family. Uh, this is an incredibly difficult time. He's a 16-year-old boy, wonderful kid, just an amazing boy. Uh, we have no idea why, and, and maybe we'll never know until we see him again in heaven. But uh, they're, they're mourning a great loss uh, today uh, with his loss. And um, so I just thought we maybe could stop and pray for his family. Lord Jesus, uh, we pray for Bart and Lisa, for Silas and for Sarah. We pray uh, just an amazing gift of grace and comfort that we cannot understand in peace. It certainly passes all our understanding. You'd keep their hearts and minds stayed in you, and that you'd protect them from the, the darts of the evil one that would want to destroy them even further, and give them a, a sense of your presence and your understanding, your knowledge of what has happened. Uh, give them peace in, in the knowledge that Ephraim is with you as you profess Christ. And I just pray that you would uh, just help us to know how to care for them and that uh, this week would be a time that can begin healing and uh, a time of remembering just the joy of his presence in their life. And so uh, we just pray for your, your strength in ways that we can't understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to just spend some time today after the service talking again about the, the whole revitalization prospect. How do we help you have a new day as a church family um, and so I'll get into that uh, after the service today. But today I want to actually get into the Word of God, the Bible, and spend some time looking at it. 
If you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Uh, Lamentations, chapter 3, Pastor Roy already actually mentioned this passage this morning. Could have been divine inspiration. Uh, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but we're going to start here in the book of Lamentations. And Lamentations, of course, is written by the prophet Jeremiah. And he is in exile. And he's lamenting over the, all the tragedy, all of the horrific things that have happened to the people of Israel, especially the ones who are in exile and that they're so far from their home and wondering when they're ever going to get back and, and knowing that they're living under the, the curse and the punishment of God for the fact that their people have been uh, living for generations, really, in disrespect of God himself. And so he's, he's sitting in this place wondering how he's going to have any hope, any, any future, any prospect of anything good happening and he says here in this conversation is, is kind of similar to the conversation we're having this year and this past year, 2020 and now into 2021, uh, of the horrific things that are happening in the world and some of us in our lives. Some of you in your, in your personal life, your marriages are really challenged. Some of you are your children are having major issues. Some of you are having health struggles. Some of you are financially challenged. Your church, where are you going? How do we function when we can have to half meet on YouTube and half meet congregationally and how do we get to make connections? We're in it we're in a situation that's pretty pretty challenging. And Jeremiah was in one that's even worse than what we could imagine really. But he, he speaks to something that I think we can all connect with. Listen to what he says, I remember my afflictions and my bitterness in the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. See, when I'm focused, when Jeremiah's focused on all the things that have happened to his life and all the things that he finds himself in, the circumstances that his life is shrouded with, he, he is downcast. He's focused on the stuff around him. And we ourselves do the same thing. When we focus our life, we focus our energy on stuff around us, we can become downcast. We're we looking at the reality that we have no control over anything, even getting a COVID test, Pastor no control. We have no control. There's so many things we don't have control of. And the more we focus on ourselves and the more we focus on our circumstances, the more we're going to spiral down in despair. Because we don't really have any control. But he says this, Yet this I call to mind. I call this to mind and therefore I have what? I have hope. I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His mercies, His compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait. I will wait for Him. You know, it's like Peter when he walked out on the water, when, when Jesus was there, and he said, can I come, Lord? And he said, come, and he steps out on the water, and when he's looking at Jesus, everything's great. But what does he do? <laughs> He looks at his circumstances and he realizes he's walking on water and he can't do that. And the storm and the wind is blowing and he's like, whoa, this is crazy. And he's focused on what he's able to do and what he's not able to do in total despair and lacks, lack of faith in himself, which it should be. What does he find himself doing? Sinking. But then when he looks up, Jesus will... <laughs> and he looks up to Jesus and guess what happens? Yeah, amazing. He can walk on water. Not because he's able to, but because God is able to. Our hope does not come from ourselves. Our hope does not come from our circumstances. Our hope does not come from our government. Our hope does not come from other people. Our hope comes from him. 
And for us to find hope, we have to look up. We have to stop looking down. We have to stop looking around. We have to start looking up. Right? Our hope comes from Him. And His mercies, they're new. They're new. So crazy. It's so, so crazy. Struggle with your, with your spouse. Or you're in a deep struggle with your kid. Or you're in a deep struggle with your situation or your health. It's so awesome to know that our, our, His mercies are new every morning. You know, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Because of His great love, we are not consumed. It's interesting. We, we live in a world that's very much an entitlement world. Right? Every older generation always thinks of the younger generation as being entitled. Primarily because they are. <laughs> but right there, we all move to a, a, a higher state of entitlement as we move down the line. And the older I get, the more I see the younger generation, the more they're totally entitled. I think about, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in Maine, and we had to, we had to cut 13 to 17 quarter wood a, a, a summer in order to burn wood for our three stoves, wood stoves in our house in the winter, because we had a big house, had a large family. Uh, we didn't have central heat, and it was cold. And it was an older house. It was over, 100, I think, 110 years old. It had no insulation. And so we burned through wood like it was... Uh, you wouldn't believe it. So we spent most of our summer going into the woods, cutting down trees, limbing them, logging them, throwing them on trucks, bringing it to the house, throwing it off the back of the truck, <laughs> splitting up the wood, <laughs> piling the wood, moving the pile, moving the pile, and moving the pile into the shed and moving it into the house and continuing to rotate the pile through the winter. That was uh, life with wood in Maine. So <clears throat> when I see my kids, you know, I have to empty the dishwasher once a day. And it's a real tragedy. It's unbelievable how difficult emptying the dishwasher once a day is just incredible. <laughs> it's a cruel, unusual punishment. It's like, wow. Yeah, we just uh, understand. I'm kind of pushing it a little bit. I'm sure you kids do more than empty the dishwasher once a day for your mom and dad. But, you know, oftentimes we think of the world as, as, as we deserve stuff. From God, We deserve stuff from others. But our life, we should be receiving benefit. We should be healthy. We should be wealthy. We should have all these things. Everything should work out good for us because we deserve it. And we find ourselves often mad at God. We're typically mad at God when things start going wrong around us. Circumstances aren't working like we wanted them to. We blame who? God. Like, we deserve it from God, and it's not fair. Other people are getting better than me, and it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair, God. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. And that's simply not the case. The reality of my situation as a human being is I am a dirty, rotten sinner that deserves nothing but punishment and hell from God. God, the creator of the universe, the maker of everything, the one who is holy and righteous and pure above all things, owes me nothing. Owes me nothing. And part of my problem with my life and why I live in such misery and despair is because I think the opposite. I think God owes me something. And because He owes me something and I'm not getting it, I'm angry and I'm mad and I'm frustrated. I'm ticked off at God because He owes me something and He's not giving it to me. Listen. Be thankful that the God of the universe is not giving you what you deserve right now. 
the God of the universe, the maker of everything. When every day of our life we walk around and we sin constantly, the things that we think about, the things that we say, the way that we act, we're spitting in his face in constantly perpetual motion. And the only thing that we deserve from him is punishment. And, and it's unbelievable. But his mercies, they're amazing. So when we read this passage, because of great love, we are not consumed. That God, the God, the maker of the universe, the maker of me and you, he loves us. And he lets us in a state that doesn't deserve his grace, his goodness, and his mercy. So we start thinking things opposite. We stop, stop looking at God as, as one who is against us and, and all of our troubles are because of him. Because it's exactly the opposite. The God, the maker of the world, the, the maker of us, he loves us. His mercies are new every morning. And he's just an amazing, an amazing God. And we deserve nothing for him. Every day that we live is a day in bonus, right? I get to wake up this morning. Did I deserve to wake up this morning? I did not. He let me live another day. And so I want to challenge you this morning as you're thinking about your life and your circumstances to stop looking around at the reality of things that you can't change, looking at the, the, the problems and the difficulties that you're dealing with, especially other people who you cannot control. You are, you're, you're confronted with all these things. I want you to think not about what God has done, is doing for you right now. He's giving you another day to please Him, to serve Him, to honor Him. His mercies are new. His compassions are great. He is for you, and he's looking for you to respond positively to him. Stop being angry at him and mad at him. Start being thankful for his grace, his mercy, his compassion, and for his opportunity for another day to make it right. I just want to encourage you. Great love, we are not consumed. His mercies, his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. This is a really big issue. The Lord is my portion. What does it mean by the Lord is my portion? Now, I grew up in a family. I had ten, ten siblings. I have nine brothers and sisters. My twin brother and I were the youngest of ten. So, mother, I had five old, three sisters. That means uh, three more mothers. Three sisters and <laughs> five older brothers, right? Now, when there's seven boys in the house, uh, how does the meat go? <laughs> meat? <laughs> it was meat? <laughs> so, so my mother used to have to serve us army style. So she'd take us to the kitchen. You know, we had to go into the kitchen and she'd plop the food on the plate. And the reason she did that was protecting us. We didn't know it as a kid, but as older person, I now understand. She was protecting me as a kid to actually get some meat. Because if she put the meat on the table, do you think the little boys would have got any from the Lots of broccoli and Brussels sprouts left over, but somehow the meat didn't make it. So she would feed us, you know. The Lord is my portion. He is what I desire. He's what I'm living for. He's what I'm waiting for. He's the one that gives me satisfaction and fulfillment. The Lord is my portion. Lots of times the reasons why we're frustrated, we're mad, we're angry, and life is horrible to us because the Lord is not our portion. Our portion is the bigger house. Our portion is the marriage that's supposed to work. Our portion is this. Our portion is that. Our portion is something else that's not the Lord. 
We're not waiting on Him as the one who's going to give us full satisfaction, full fulfillment, full joy, full, full value, full benefit as a human being. If the Lord is your portion, then you wait for Him. But we're waiting for other stuff. And we're constantly disappointed, totally frustrated, without hope, and in despair. It says here, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. I will wait for Him. That's the hardest thing to do. Wait. Wait. Man. But I'm waiting for the Lord. He's the one who is what I desire. He's the one who will fill me. He's the one who gives me purpose. He's the one who gives me meaning. He's the one who satisfies my deepest longings and my greatest sense of identity and as a person. The Lord, He is my portion. Not the things around me, not the things that I think I want, but Him Himself. So I just want to encourage you this morning that His mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is so great. And the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait. I will wait on Him. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 11 to 13. Now I know in your church family, I not only know some of your story, but you've had some real challenges over the, the last couple decades in your church. And you have a base of people here that love Jesus and want to see people come to know Christ and move forward. And you, and you may be wondering, how do we, how do we do it? How do we, how do we move forward as a church? The same question is about how do I move forward in my relationship and how do I move forward in my life? They're the same question. But as a church, I want you to think about it as well. I think it's interesting. God's going to say something through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel. chapter 4, verses 11 through 19. Isaiah 43, 11 through 19. It's interesting. As God starts to talk, he's going to say something really important to his people. And I want him to say the same thing to you today by his spirit. He's going to say something really important. And he sets it up this way. It's really interesting. He does something that he doesn't normally do. He, he exalts himself really high. He reminds the people of who he is before he's going to say what he's going to say. So he spends a lot of time building up who he is, which which he doesn't need to do. And if, and if he wanted to, he could fill volumes and books and books and we would never get to what he wants to say if he's going to talk about who he is because God is something else. Right? God is amazing. But he says this, I, even I am the Lord. So listen, say, I, I have something to say to you. I, even I, am the Lord. I'm the one talking to you. And apart from me, there is no Savior. There is no hope for anything in your life beyond me. I am the Savior, the one who rescues you. I am the Savior. Apart from me, there is no Savior. You can't solve it on your own. Your friend can't solve it. Your rich uncle can't solve it. Nobody can. Only God can solve it. He's your Savior. I have revealed and saved. I am not some foreign god among you. I'm not some weak idol that people put up in false pretense to worship something that has no power. I, I am not one of those. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And yes, from ancient days I am He. I'm the one, the eternal God, the one who's always existed. He's really letting you know He's got something to say. No one can deliver out of my hand. Who can reverse it? No one can reverse it. Yes. Verse 16. 
what the Lord says. He who made a, a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea and a path through the... Now, he's talking to the people of Israel. Israel and Israel, and one of their primary stories about their history was, was when they actually walked through the Red Sea. A lot of you know the story when, when they came out of Egypt and they were, they were slaves and they were running for freedom and they were going to the promised land and they were being led by Moses and Moses leads them to the water and the, and the mountains are on one side and the, the water's in front of them and the armies of Egypt are behind them and what hope do they have? No hope. They had no power in and of themselves, to solve their situation, it seemed completely hopeless because it was in their own power. And lots of times we're focused on our power to solve our problems. And guess what? You can't solve your problems with your power. They're too big for you. Too big. And so with the armies of Egypt coming after them <laughs> and the waters in front of them, God says to Moses, you remember the story, he says, what do you have in your hand? Yeah, I've got this. You gave me this, this rod. He says, well, lift it up. So Moses takes what he has in his hand and, and he obeys God. with. And what does God do? Oh, my goodness. He parts, he parts, the, he parts the waters. And it's estimated anywhere from one and a half to five million people are with the Israelites. I mean, I don't care if it was a hundred, but it was, it was a lot. One and a half to five million, they estimate, were with them that day. And they parted the waters, and it was dry ground. Kids, that was the first accordion, because they were walking through. I wonder if they could see the fish, you know. (laughs) Yeah, the water stood on either side. And they walked on dry ground. You know, I don't know if they were whistling Dixie, but they were walking through there. And they were walking through on dry ground, living and walking in the miracle of God. Incredible. The power of God. When we take what we have in our hand and we obey God, He comes through in just amazing and powerful ways. Not because we are something, but because He is everything. And when we listen and obey, He reveals and sends His power. It's incredible. And so they walk across this dry ground. And as they they get on the other side... And they've walked in the blessing of God. The armies of Egypt come driving in. <laughs> and they will actually want to live and walk in the blessing of God. As, like totally freaked out. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, like, I'm driving a chariot. I'm watching the, army, the, the, the people of Israel and we're in the aquarium. And we're like, wow, this is absolutely insane. And of course... What happens when the Israelites get on the other side? What does God do? He wipes out their deepest fears. Crushes the enemies that haunt them at night. Worried about their past is gone. No more will the armies of Egypt threaten them again. Wipe them out. Because they could not live and walk in the blessing of God. Only his people could. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. See, this God, this is the God who wants to say something to you. He wants to say something to your circumstances. He wants to say something to your marriage. He wants to say something about your children. He wants to say something about your life. He wants to say something about this church. What is it that he wants to say? This God, the one who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. What does he want to say? Let's move on. 
says this, forget, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Where you thought there was no hope. Where you thought there would be no life. Where you thought there would be no future. The one, the one who made a way through the sea and path through the mighty waters, he is saying to you this morning, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a what? A new thing. The God of the Bible is the God of the new thing. He puts a new song in our heart. He makes us a new person. He's made a new covenant through His Son and He makes things new. He makes things new. The God of the Bible makes new things. You know what a lot of our problem is? We spend most of our time focused on what? On the past things. It's really hard to live in the present and move towards the Our eyes are focused what? On the past. And what does God say? What does He say? Forget the former things. Forget them. Do not dwell on the... Am I saying this? Who's saying this? God's saying, He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Will you let God do a new thing? A new thing in your life? A new thing in your marriage? A new thing in your relationship with your kid? A new thing in this church? Will you let Him do a new thing? He wants to. God wants to do a new thing. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I want to do, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Can you see it? Can you start to perceive it? Can you start to sense it? He wants to do something new. You see, I don't have any confidence that you or Pastor Roy or your elders are able to make this church something awesome. Zero. I don't have any confidence that I can help you make it awesome. You know where my confidence lies? In the God who does new things. The one who made a way in the wilderness and and a path through the mighty waters. My confidence is totally and fully in Him. And He is the God of the new thing and He's the God that we know, the God that we serve, and the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And He's the God who wants to see your church have awesome, awesome future. And he wants us to forget the past, not dwell on it. He wants us to focus on the new thing that he wants to do. A couple more verses. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Some of you are very familiar with this passage. Jeremiah 29, verses 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I want you to know that the God of the Bible says about Him many, many times that He is thinking about you. Not just thinking about us. He thinks about us corporately, but he thinks about you. How did the hairs in your head think about you? He sings over you. The God, the God of the Bible has a deep and intimate love for you as a person and as an individual. 
And He has plans for you, each one of us. You know, we, we have our own plans. And, and most of us have destroyed or smashed or made... But that was yesterday. And you know what? God still has you what? Here. Today. And what does He say? Forget the, the former things. Remember how He's doing what? A new thing. And sometimes, for a lot of us, we can't get over what happened yesterday to stand up today and do the new thing God has for us today. And I want you to know that God has plans for you. If you're here today, if you're breathing, if you're taking life, if you woke up this morning, He has something He wants you to do. And He has a plan for you. Bigger than you. Connected to everything that He's doing. His plan. His ultimate plan. His plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. And plans to give you hope in a future. Our hope is not found in what I can do and what I can see and how I can solve it. My hope is found in Him. Isn't it? We have to keep our eyes up. We have to believe. First, the Bible, the God of Jesus, the God who loves us, the God who cares for us, the God who has a plan for us. Our hope is in Him. He says, then you will call on me and pray to me and I will listen to you. Been so many times in my life, I feel like I'm, I'm, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Right? Bouncing off the ceiling. He says, but then you will call on me, pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Now, when I got married many, many years ago, <laughs> it'll be 20. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Be soon. Uh, and if you met my wife, I would say I should have brought a picture because you like you will you wouldn't believe it because she's so cute. You'd be like, man, no, not possible. If it, I, I tell Roy, I tell people that my wife is my most strongest argument for God. Yeah. So you look at her, then you would take a look at me. You look back at her, you're like, there has to be a God. That's the only that's the only explanation of how that came together, and that's totally how it works. But when I got married, I learned a lot about God because. God actually made us male and female in His image. And we complete the image of God together. It's a mystery. We don't understand it all. Especially if you're guys trying to understand your wife. It's a mystery. You don't understand it all. We're getting there. We're trying. We're working at it. But God showed me something about Himself, which is... You know, my wife, she doesn't just want, like, half my attention. Right, so she's talking to me and I'm looking at my phone. She really likes that. Not so much, right? She doesn't want 80% of my attention. 90%, even 95%. What does she want? 100%. 100%. You know what we want to give? You know what I want to give my wife? 50%, 60%, 25%, make it look like 90%. <laughs> so, right? She knows that she knows that I love her fully and I'm, she's my greatest focus, my greatest joy, my greatest desire. I can be an idiot and she'll still love me. When she's not sure <laughs> that I love her fully and my heart is fully hers, I could be the greatest person on the planet and it's not going to work. You see, oftentimes we come to God and we come to God like this. God, here am I. I'm here to give you everything. 
Well, except for these few things here. Like, you know, there's some minor stuff that you probably wouldn't care about, so I'm going to keep them. That doesn't work. Yeah. What does God want? He wants it all. Uh, he, he doesn't just want, you know, as, as miserable as, as nothing we have to offer, He still wants it. <laughs> he still wants all of it. And, and we're trying to figure out God's will, feel His presence, have a sense of His power in our life, and we're going like this. And I'm here to tell you that you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. Just like you're not going to get... You're not going to get the full love and, and, and the heart of your wife when she knows you're not giving her everything. It's not going to happen, buddy. I'm sorry. Not going to happen. See, he says here, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with what? Part of? Most of? A lot of? Yeah, all of your heart. That's when we find him. That's when he reveals himself. That's when he comes through. That's when we see. But not until. And we want to know before. God, show me and then I'll commit. And God says, no, that's not how it works. I want you to commit and then I'll show you. Oh, wow, that's scary. Yeah? But it's not so scary when you know the, who's the one you're talking to. The creator of the universe, the maker of everything, the one who loves you, has a plan for you. His future for you is amazing. And he wants you to go like this. So some of you are going to go to the church and say, Lord, Lord, have our church. Give us a new day. But I want to keep this and this and this and this and this. And God's going to say, okay, you want a future for your church? What do you want? No, well, I can't, no, 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 no. He's going to, what is he going to say? Well, maybe uh, I'll give him that. I'll keep it. What does God want? Yeah. Whose church is it? It's his, not ours. We steward it. Privileged to do that. Whose is it? It's his. Yeah. See, the God of the Bible is the God of the new thing. He has a new thing. He wants us to forget what? And he remember the future he has for us. And he's going to reveal what he wants for us together when we give him everything. Hold nothing back. Can't. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. But one thing I do, this one thing I do, this is Paul talking, really telling us how to live. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on, the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing. He's telling us to run the race well for Jesus, to be the people of God that he wants us to be, both individually and corporately, as his people. We have to forget what is behind, and we have to what? doesn't just look. What is he saying? Strain. Every ounce of my energy is moving towards the future. I'm straining. I strain towards what is ahead. God, what do you have? 
Not what you had for me yesterday. What do you have in tomorrow? I strain. I'm giving energy and effort full focus to the future. That's what he says. I press on to the goal to win the prize which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to read this passage one more time in Isaiah chapter 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. <laughs> a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The God, the God of the Bible is the God who loves us, who cares for us, who wants to do a new thing in your life, a new thing in my life. He wants to do a new thing right here at Norwalk. Can we believe Him for it? Can we trust Him for it? Are we willing to come to Him like this? Are we willing to strain toward the future, forget the past? That's what He's asking us to do. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word that encourages us, helps us to know You and understand You. Thank You for Your mercies and compassions. We are not consumed they're new every morning. And here we are. We're your people. You've given us a new day to love you, serve you, and to do your will. May you challenge us with it. May we find our hope in you and not in our circumstances, in our own power, and our own strength, but in you. May you be our portion, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.